glad you guys are here this morning. We're on week number two of a series that we've been doing here at Ignite called, um, I Believe in God, But. And we're sort of, uh, throughout this series, we're trying to identify some of the things that sort of hold us back from the, the life that God has for us. So we're trying to debunk them a little bit, uh, take a look at God's truth on some of these topics, and, uh, and, and have a conversation about how we can uh, step in more and more into the, the, into the life with God and the relationship with God that he has for us. Last week we talked, had a real conversation about faith and doubts, right? We just kind of talked about doubt in our life and how to overcome that a little bit. And, uh, and this week we're going to talk about uh, sort of being happy and having fun. It's the, the, the topic for the day is I believe in God, but I just want to have fun, right? I just want to enjoy my life. I want to just have a good time kind of thing. As Americans, I think this whole idea, this, this drive to be happy, to enjoy life, it is deeply rooted in us as a culture and in our society, even as far back as the Declaration of Independence, right? Our forefathers wrote that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? We're saying, I believe that my desire to have fun, that my desire to be happy is a right granted to me by my creator. That pursuit of happiness is granted by God. It's, a deep, it's deeply ingrained in us. And we see it lived out in the real world, world, right? We see it in the way the choices that we make, the way we use our time, the way we use our money even. The global entertainment industry is a $2 trillion a year business. Two trillion dollars. Now think about this, just to put it in perspective, according to the UN, we could end world hunger for a paltry $30 billion a year. But, but so, we, so we don't necessarily think people, excuse me, I'm going to push for just a second. So we don't necessarily think that it is people's unalienable rights to eat, right? But we think it's our, our, in our pursuit of happiness, we spend $2 trillion a year. I mean, this is deeply ingrained in us. I want to have fun. I want to pursue happiness. There's sort of an addiction and a fascination we have as a culture to having fun. I ran across uh, some research that was done on this uh, a few years ago, and I thought it was fascinating. It was uh, done on Facebook, but it was uh, a study done by Fast Company along with Gallup. And these guys worked together to do some fascinating research. They, they used the, at the time, it was 800 million active Facebook users, and they converted Facebook statuses uh, to what they called a, uh, what is it, a gross national happiness. So they, they, they sort of scored people's Facebook uh, stuff on points. There are some things that we say, and these days we have little smiley faces and little whatever that says, how are you feeling today? And we say, I'm feeling this, right? I mean, but they've, they've converted all those to points. There are some that indicate that people are feeling good, that they're feeling happy. There are some that are more like happiness neutral, and there are some that were saying, man, these are, we are not feeling happy. And so they took that, they, they tracked all 800 million Facebook users for a year, and they came up with what they said, what, what they called the uh, gross national happiness. And it's fascinating. I've got it on the graph form right here. And what they found is that there are a few days during the year where, where Americans are typically very happy, right? This is not this is not surprising, right? Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's Eve, Valentine's Day are a few of the winners. On those days as a whole, Americans reflect a fairly high degree of happiness, right? And it's no wonder. We're typically off work. We have these huge spreads of meals put before us. Amen. There's, that's right. Many of these days, there's great football on. Amen. Uh -huh, yeah, you see what I'm saying? I mean, I just, this is great. We get, we get together with family, which maybe for some of us is why those spikes are so high. Why for others of us, maybe those spikes aren't quite as high as they could be, right? But we get together with family, 
and we celebrate. I mean, Thanksgiving is a day devoted to giving thanks. So is it a surprise that, it would, or that our Facebook statuses would indicate, hey, we're a little more thankful today. We're a little bit more happy today than we typically are because it's a day focused around giving thanks. Christmas, like I said, New Year's, Valentine's Day, Super Bowl is probably either a big winner or a big loser, depending which side you're on, right? There's all these kinds of things going on. The thing that was fascinating to me, though, is I was looking at this. Oh, I, I'll mention one other thing. They also tracked it during the week. Uh, and I don't have another, I don't have the chart for this, but it's pretty common sense. If you were to guess which day of the week people's happiness ratio would be at an all-time low, what day do you think that would be? Monday. Yes, it's a, and that's exactly what they found. That, you know, people are the least happy on Monday, and it gets a couple points higher as you go through the week, so that by the time you hit the weekend, you're about as happy as you're gonna be for the week, but even that was usually about zero, right? That was, that was right, it was pretty neutral. It was like, yeah, it's okay. The thing that was fascinating to me, though, is you look at this, and you think, okay, well, okay, so I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, maybe, uh, days of the year where I'm happy. And what about the other 350, whatever, right? I mean, what about the rest of the year? It seems like we're pretty much doing to maybe like a point or two up and a point or two down. We, we, we tend to live in a happiness vacuum, the research found, for the bulk of the year. Yeah, sure, there's a couple of days vacation. Yeah, we go up a couple points. Uh, that kind of Saturdays, right, we go up a couple points. But, but by and large, we are spending the bulk of our lives in a happiness vacuum. So while we might have the right, an unalienable right to the pursuit of happiness, very few of us find it, right? We might be seeking after it in all kinds of different places, but very few of us are finding lasting joy. I mean, it's weird. Certainly we all have the right to pursue happiness, but I think what the research finds, and I think what, what life even ferrets out for us is that not all pursuits are equal. I mean, sometimes we spend a whole bunch of energy and time and effort running after things that just don't seem to deliver, that just don't seem to really bring lasting happiness, lasting joy, lasting contentment even to our souls. I read a, a book years ago now by a guy by the name of John Ortberg who talks about taking his kids to McDonald's, and I think he's got a fascinating perspective on this. He says this, he says, we take our children to the shrine of the golden arches. There they always lust for the meal that comes with a cheap little prize, a combination christened in a moment of marketing genius, the Happy Meal, right? <laughs> he says, you're not just buying fries, McNuggets, and a cheap little toy, you're buying happiness. Their advertisements have convinced my children, he said, that they have a little McDonald's-shaped vacuum in their souls. <laughs> I try to buy my kids off sometimes, and I tell them just to order the food, and I'll throw in a quarter to each one of them to buy something in the little vending machine out front. But the cry goes up, I want a Happy Meal! He says, all over the restaurant, people crane their necks to turn around and look at this tight-fisted, penny-pinching cheapskate of a parent who would deny their child, who would deny their child the meal of great joy. <laughs> he goes on to say the problem with the happy meal is the happy wears off and they need a new fix. No, <laughs> child, no child ever discovers lasting happiness in just one happy meal. Like, you never hear kids say, man, I remember I was six years old, right? I bought that happy meal and my life has never been the same, right? It just never happens. He, he, he ends a section by saying, when you get older, we don't get any smarter, the Happy Meals just get more expensive. Isn't that true? Yes. So often, we go after all kinds of things in the pursuit of happiness. 
And, and so often this gets fed by advertising, marketing genius, right? Billions and billions of dollars is spent a year on that. Even our culture in general, we convince ourselves that lasting happiness is found in that right girl or that right guy, right? Every kiss begins with K's, maybe with a ring or something like that, right? Like, maybe, if only I married somebody, if only they got this ring, if only I was with that person, then my life would be complete. And if, if after we wake up and the honeymoon's over and years have gone by, if, we, if, we're, if they're not doing it for us, then we, we're convinced that it must be somebody else. Maybe I just married the wrong person because happiness is really found if I was with that person or that person or that person. Or sometimes we decide, no, it's, it's not in a person. It's in, it's in material possessions, right? If I just get the next, the best car or house or whatever, maybe then. Or maybe it's in the clothes we wear or the friends we keep. Or, or uh, maybe it's having the vacation lifestyle with boats and beaches and a beach house. Then I'd be happy. Maybe it's things like entertainment. Maybe it's if I looked a certain way. Sometimes we tie happiness to our jobs and careers and advancement. Man, if only I got that next promotion, that next step. If only I was my own boss. If only, if only, if only, dot, 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 then I could be happy. But I tell you what happens time and time. Not all pursuits are equal, are they? So often we go after those things and we get there and we're like, eh, right? Still the same. Like, what, what's next? What else you got? Like, then it, then it's, well, maybe it's the next job. Maybe it's the next toy. Maybe it's the next vacation. Maybe it's the next thing. What do we do with the other 350 days a year that, that aren't holidays, that aren't vacation days? What do we do then? Is there a kind of joy that lasts? Is there something meaningful to pursue? Are we just busy running around and chasing our tails? C.S. Lewis puts it like this. Love this quote. He says, our Lord finds our desire not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like, ignorant, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. He says we're far too easily pleased. You know what he's saying? He's saying the happy wears off. But what if there's something better? Right? What if there's a kind of joy that's offered where the happy doesn't wear off? What, what if there's a kind of joy that's offered that's despite our circumstances? What if there's something better? I'm not sure exactly why, but I think this desire for happiness and this desire for fun uh, and stuff kind of gets at something uh, significant, I think, in us. I think sometimes some of our misconceptions that we have about real and lasting happiness keep us from going all in with God. For whatever reason, we've really believed that these mud pies are where life is found, where happiness is found. And we wonder if we really open ourselves up to God, if we really allow ourselves to follow him, if we go all in with him, is he going to get in the way of me being happy? Is he going to get in the way of the things that my soul and my heart really crave and the things that I need and want most? Is he just going to be, is he going to get in the way? Or can he really deliver? Is he going to get in the way of me having fun? I think sometimes we picture God as having being some sort of a cosmic killjoy, but nothing could be further from the truth. I'll tell you what, uh, this is what I want to throw out to you this morning. This is kind of the, the concept of the premise of the message, but here's what I want to throw out to you. God is the most joyful being in the planet, in the universe.
in anything that is. He is the most joyful being ever. And his desire for you and for me is to step into his joy this morning. God desires not less joy for you, but more. I think he desired, because not all pursuits are equal, right? I think he, he, what, he would, what he would have for us today is to open up our eyes to something better, something lasting, something real. So that's what I want to dig into today. Um, one more C.S. Lewis quote I've got, and I think it's kind of fun. It says, joy is the serious business of heaven. Right? It's that whole idea that joy is what God is. It's who he is. It's part of his identity. In fact, throughout the, the pages of God's book, he gives us a lot of times, so he'll give us a name for himself uh, as a way for us to understand his character and his nature more. He'll, he'll say things like, I am your provider. I am the God who meets your needs. It's a snapshot. It's a glimpse of his character of who he is. Sometimes he'll be like, I am God, your savior, right? I'm the one who saves you, the one who comes to rescue you. Well, this is fascinating, but in, in uh, Psalm 43, he, he tells us as he gives us this picture, I am the God of exceeding joy. And I love the imagery. Let me unpack it for you. Psalm 43, 4 puts it this way. He says, uh, the psalmist is saying, that I will go to the altar of God, to, the, to God my exceeding joy. And upon the lyre, it's a musical instrument, upon the lyre, I shall praise you, O God, my God. Literally, it means I will go to the altar of the God of my exceeding joy. So do a few other verses that sort of talk about this. Nehemiah 12, 43 puts it this way. And on that day, they offered great sacrifices, great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. Isn't that great? The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. Psalm 4-7, this is one of my faves, puts it this way. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. He's talking about harvest. I mean, imagine if you got paid one time a year. One time a year, right? Imagine that. Harvest. You know, so, so when the harvest comes in, you get all of your income that you're going to have for the entire year. They, they have celebrations. They have parties. They have all kinds of things. He says, you know what? The kind of joy you have given to me is better than that. It's better than that. In Psalm 16, 11, this is great. It says, you make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Who fills him with joy, by the way? God. He says, God, in your presence there is fullness of joy. You fill me with joy when I draw near to you. It's great. You fill me with joy in your presence. It overflows and it fills me. Now, for some of us, I think that doesn't compute, right? We scratch our heads and think, God? Filling me with joy, filling me with joy in his presence. That's, that's, we sort of scratch our heads. I think many of us grew up in, those of us that came from a church background that grew up in churches, oftentimes we have a picture of God in our minds that is not a joyful God. We have a, a picture of God in our minds sometimes that's kind of crabby, that's more, more like a killjoy, that's more like grumpy or whatever. We've kind of grown up. In fact, I don't know if you remember, when I was a kid, we were at church all the time, and I was a kid that was crawling underneath the pews. I was army crawling. I was doing all kinds. I would laugh. I'd tell jokes. I mean, I'd do all kinds of things. And and I mean, I kind of kind of get the pull on the ear. You get swat in the back of the head. You get whatever. And you'd be like, we're in church. Wipe that smile off your face. Right? Has anybody ever heard that? Right? Quit laughing. We're in church. You kind of grow up with this picture of saying, "Man, I, I don't, I don't think God's, I don't think God's very happy." To think of God as being the most joyful being in the universe, I think, is is mind blowing for us. When we imagine we grew up in church, sometimes we think, "Well, that must be how God is." 
He must despise fun and joy. I mean, think about it. How often do you see pictures of Jesus or a picture of some sort of a depiction of the Father where they're laughing? Where they're smiling. Oftentimes we don't. They're always serious and somber. Maybe maybe they're flipping over tables or something like that. But we don't see the picture. We don't see the picture of Jesus at the party, do we? You don't see the pictures of him turning water into wine and hanging out with the people at the celebration. We don't see that. We don't see often. Well, sometimes you do, but oftentimes you don't see the pictures of, of Jesus with the children. You know the kind of the kind of guy that children are drawn to. You think he's stingy and crabby, or is he? A, or is he a Jesus filled with joy that loves laughter, loves to just love on kids. And I, I just wonder if so often we've missed it and we've, we've uh, imagined the wrong thing because God says, you know what, you want the picture of who I am? I am the God of exceeding joy and the God that just overflows with you. In my presence, God says, there's joy. Come and find it. Come and discover it. Come and drink it. In my presence, there is great joy. I just want to remind us today, yes, is it true that God's powerful? Yes. Is it true that God is holy? Yes. But God is the most joyful being in the universe. And he invites you and he invites me to come in and share in the most joy-filled life imaginable. He's the creator of joy. He's the originator of joy. And there is no one more full of joy than God. He's the God of exceeding joy. Today, in the time we've got left, I want to just look at one passage that's found in John 15. Is in this, Jesus is talking about um, joy. It's John 15 is, is a story some of you kind of know, uh, but uh, Jesus has just told his followers how, how the next few days are going to unfold. Right? He's like, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die for the sins of the people. I'm going to be raised again, and then I'm going to ascend into heaven. And the disciples are distraught. Right? They're like, What? You're leaving? Right? What? This thing is just kind of getting going. What do you mean you're going to go and die? What do you mean you're going to go and leave? And, and he tells us whole sort of story, this whole teaching about how he's going to be with them and how uh, they can remain in him and how he's going to send the spirit to live inside of them and all this kind of stuff. And he says this, this is just fascinating. He says this, as the father has loved me, he says, so have I loved you. Now he says to his followers, now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things, listen to this, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be, what's that say? Complete. It means, it means overflowing. It means full. Like can't add another drop. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be full. My command is this, love one another. As I have loved you. Man, I love that. I've told you these things so that you may be filled with my, what's he say? Joy. And so that your joy may be complete, may be full, may be lacking nothing. I want to pour out my joy in you. I wonder if there's any of us here today that can use some of God's joy in our lives. That can use that perspective, that connection. He says, if so, would you come and would you remain my love, would you soak in my presence so that you can experience a life filled with joy? Now, again, just a, a quick uh, definition check, right? We're not talking about temporary happiness. We're not talking about getting everything we want all the time. We're not talking about, oh man, wouldn't it be great if I won the lottery, right? We're not talking about like temporary circumstances. We're not talking about the circumstances of your life. We're talking about joy, complete fullness that's found in Christ, that's found. Uh, through a connection to God through Jesus. 
Let me just kind of go through. I'm going to do some rapid fire, but just kind of three different points that I see in the passage, three different things that I just want us to, to think about and to, to, to wrestle with a little bit as we're, as we're talking about how to live a life of joy, how to move from just uh, a desire to have fun or just to have my way into a life filled with joy. The first, first point that I'm just going to mention is the lasting joy comes only from God. It doesn't come from anywhere else. Lasting joy comes only from God. He says, Jesus says, hey, I've told you these things so that my joy can fill you. Right? It comes from him. It is, God says, there is great joy found in my presence. Lasting joy is found only in him. Even the language of John 15 is interesting. Right? He, he uses two words. He's talking about joy and one other word that shows up and repeats again and again. Right? He says, I'll, I'll kind of let you in on this as we go. Right? As the Father has loved me, so have I now remain in my love. What do you think the other word is? <laughs> right? the, two, the two connections that he's making here is like, man, if you, if you remain in my love, if you are connected and, and reunited with the Father, if you are dwelling in my presence, if you are loved, right? If you are loving me and dwelling with me, then my joy will be in you because joy is found in God. That's where it comes from. It, found, it comes from a relationship, a real and lasting relationship with the living God because joy is found in him. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in that love and my joy will overflow. I was I just thinking through that this weekend. I was reminded of another story that's found in Acts chapter 6. If you don't know it, you can look it up later. But let me just kind of tell it. There's a, it's a story of uh, kind of a government official uh, from Ethiopia and a Christ follower by the name of Philip. And Philip is, is uh, being led by the Holy Spirit. He's up kind of by a road. There's a chariot that goes, goes by with this Ethiopian uh, ruler in it. And uh, God kind of nudges Philip and says, I want you to go up and hang out by that chariot, and I'll tell you what to do. So he you know, runs up next to the chariot, and uh, he hears this guy reading a prophecy from Isaiah about Jesus. And he even says, who's that about? You know, what? I don't even get who this is all about. And Philip ends up going up and telling him and pointing him to Jesus, explaining the gospel to him, kind of pointing him and saying, you know, you know who that's talking about? It's talking about a Savior that has come from God, that's come. He died for you. He's been raised back to life, and, and life is found in his name kind of thing, right? So it's an amazing story. Uh, in fact, the, the Ethiopian ends up saying, well, I don't see any reason why I shouldn't get baptized right now. It's because they find some water, they stop, they baptize him. He comes up out of the water, and, and uh, Philip disappears, but that's a different story. And, uh, and he, he ends, it, it ends up, the Bible ends up saying this. I think that I put the verse in there. Yeah, it says, but uh, they didn't see him again. Philip was taken away, but the eunuch didn't see him again. But he went on his way. What was that last word? Rejoicing. Rejoicing. Isn't that great? That's what happens when sinful, broken people like you and me recognize our own sin. We open up our hearts and lives to Jesus. and We connect with God. We go on our way rejoicing. And I don't know why. Because joy is found in his presence. It's where it comes from. It's where the good stuff is at. Joy comes from his presence. You know what? I've, uh, it's been 25 years since I've opened up my heart and life to Christ like that. But I have to tell you, I have never known joy like I have known in following Christ. I looked for it in a lot of different places. I looked for that happiness and that fun and that thrill and that, you know, whatever, that, that, that feeling in all kinds of different places. And the only place I have ever found lasting joy like that and contentment and peace and love has been found in the presence of God. It's been, it's been through a relationship with Jesus. 
I don't know where you're at today. If you've ever opened up your heart and life to him like that, but if not, man, can I just encourage you? There's nothing better. There's no place better. There is life is not better anywhere else apart from life in Christ. And so turn to him today and just kind of cry out. Joy is found in his presence. It's where joy begins. He's the God of exceeding joy. But joy is a central part of God's basic character. It's who he is. Joy is not the absence of problems. Right? That's happiness. Joy is not the absence of problems. It's found in the presence of God. It's knowing that the God of all joy is with us and learning to remain in him, to stay plugged in with him. It's, it's remaining in his love. It's not the removal of suffering or pain or difficulty. It's the awareness that the God of all joy is with you, even in the midst of it. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? We'll fear nothing because he's with us. His joy is filling us. Friends, we waste so much time looking to all the wrong places, looking everywhere else for this kind of soul-filling joy, but it's only found in one place. It's found in him. Second thing, and this one is is uh, way countercultural, way counterintuitive even, but it's lasting joy comes from obedience to God, right? We don't like to talk about this one much. It makes us a little bit uncomfortable. But back to the passage, Jesus says, now remain in my love, right? He says, and you'll, and, and you'll be filled with, this, with, with great joy. But he says, if you obey my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I've obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that my joy will be in you and your joy may be complete. Obedience leads to joy. How many of us really tend to think about it like that? Yeah, probably not very many, right? We don't usually think, wait, obedience leads to joy? It's like you're blowing my mind here, right? But how does obedience lead to joy? It's, it's, it's foreign to us to think that way. And I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. We think that, uh, you know, if, if we think that God's out to keep us from having fun, if he's the cosmic killjoy, if he's just sort of an old, stale, stiff, boring God that abhors fun, that abhors joy, then why would we listen to him? But here's what I want to say. But what if it's true that God is the most joyful being in the universe? What if it's true that he's the creator of joy and his desire is to fill you with great joy? The most joy, joy to the full even. What if that's true? What if it's true that when God says not to have sex outside of the context of marriage, what if he's not trying to keep you from having fun, but what if he's really trying to, to lead you on the path to the best relationships, the best marriages, the most joy possible? What if he's not holding out from you, but what if he's trying to give you a gift? What if he really is the most joyful being in the universe? What if that's part of his plan to lead you into greater levels of joy? What if when God is telling you and speaking to you and me about how we should handle our money, what if he's not holding out on us or he's trying to be stingy? or trying to, What if he's trying to give us a gift saying, man, I want you to be free. I want you to be free. I, want you, I don't want you to be enslaved by this stuff. I want you to walk into greater levels of joy. And that's found in me and my path and my ways if you come and follow me. What if when God's telling us not to cheat or steal or lie or whatever, he's, or he's telling us how to handle conflict or anger or gossip or slander or purity, what if in all these things it really is God trying to unleash joy in our lives? 
You say, man, these things are killers. These things are things that, that sidetrack you, that get you distracted, that, that take you on the wrong path, that, that lead away from him and away from the source of all joy. What if that's true? Even if you go back to the Ten Commandments, I was like, this is fascinating. In Deuteronomy, he goes back, if you want to go to that next verse, God gives him the Ten Commandments and then he says this. He says, what, make sure you keep his decrees and commands, which I am giving you today, he says, so that it may go well for you. Does that sound like a God that's trying to hold out on you or a God that's trying to give you a gift? He says, man, I've got something good for you. I am the God of all joy. Walk in my way so that it may go well for you. Life, freedom, peace, joy, they're tied to obedience, to walking in God's ways. The third thing I'll just, I'll just mention clear, quickly as well is that lasting joy is contagious. Amen. Lasting joy is contagious. He says, remain in my love. As you remain in my love, you'll be filled with my joy. Then he goes on to say this in the very next verse. My command for you is this love each other as I have loved you. Right? He says, He's, remain in me. The source of all joy and my love and my joy will spill over into your life and pour out to those around you. It's that kind of contagious and lasting joy that, that we read about with the Apostle Paul, for instance, who, who's in prison, right? He's on death row and he writes the most joyful book of the New Testament, the book of Philippians. Right? He, in it, he, talks, he, says, he talks about joy and rejoicing more than any other book in the Bible. He says it again and again and again. There, there's great joy that's available. It's, right, he's, he's discovered the source of lasting joy, which is connection with God, even in the midst of terrible circumstances, even in the midst of being on death row because he's a follower of Christ. He says, I've discovered great joy. And it goes on uh, to talk about how uh, the, the entire palace guard, it says, have, have heard about uh, about the love and the grace and the goodness of God because of his presence there. It's contagious. I mean, think about the, the palace guard in that day, 9,000 handpicked guards that were there, right? 9,000 handpicked guards. And they had come to know about the love and the grace and the joy of Jesus through one person that was in prison. That was in, sometimes he had get guards chained to him 24-7. And as, as they were chained to him, they were watching him pray. They were watching him connect with God. They were watching to him and listening to him as he was sharing about the life and the joy and the freedom and the goodness of knowing Christ. And as a result, many of them started to believe. It's contagious. It's the way it works. The whole palace guard ended up hearing about how great the love and joy and peace and life with Christ really is. And it overflowed out of Paul to those around him. Friends, I'm not sure where you're at today. Maybe you're here today and you're feeling chained in some ways. Maybe like Paul was. <laughs> Just not experiencing the joy that you want to these days. Maybe you're feeling chained to a marriage of some sort. A marriage is just not good and you're tempted to lose hope. You're tempted to give up, to get real bitter or angry or cynical or whatever. Or maybe it's something else. Maybe you're feeling chained to some sort of health-related issue. And it seems like there's just no happiness for you. Maybe you're feeling chained to a job that you hate and it's just eating you up and spitting you out. You're like, man, how much more? It's robbing you of joy. It's robbing you uh, of life. And maybe today, maybe you need to be reminded to pursue true joy 
not based on your circumstances, but the kind of joy that comes only from a relationship with the living God. I don't know if you're guilty of this, but I think sometimes I can be guilty of it, that we spend so much time focused on and, and praying for and seeking after God's provision, like the things that come from God's hand, that we forget to seek his face. Right? I mean, I, I think sometimes we, we pray and spend all of our time praying, praying, God, would you make what I want to happen happen in my life? We spend so much time focused on him giving and what he can that we forget to plug into and focus on and worship and connect with and remain in God himself, right? That we forget to seek his face. I do that. How about you? And when that happens, we are robbed of our joy because real and lasting joy is not dependent on our circumstances. It's not dependent on God doing what I want him to do. It's found in relationship and connection with the living God. Is that a struggle? It is struggle. It's a constant battle. It's something I had to do this morning. I've had a rough couple of days, and uh, even this morning, I found my brain all over the place and distracted, and my heart was whatever, and I was struggling, and I had to spend some time just uh, on my knees before God, just worshiping, just saying, God, I, just, I want to see you. I want to know your glory. I want to, I want to sense, I call it your smile, right? Your joy over me. I have to say, it doesn't take more than a couple minutes, right, before suddenly you can sense his joy and his presence and his with him. And he offers that to you and to me today. I think sometimes we've stopped seeking his face and maybe today the living God is saying, you know what, despite your circumstances, no, one, no matter what's happening in your life today, no matter what struggles are going on or what consequences or what whatever you're struggling with, you say today, would you seek my face? Would you turn your eyes to me? Would you seek joy and life and connection would you receive my love that's all available through Christ would you dwell in the presence of a joy filled God today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day his joy is available to you and his joyful presence is available to you and to me if you live in it Maybe you're here today and you're not experiencing much joy these days. Because the truth be told, maybe you've walled yourself off, kind of cut yourself off from him in one way or another. Maybe there's an area or two or three in, in your life or in our, our lives where we sort of kicked God out. Because we know that we're living in a way that goes against his word, against his truth. And we don't want to obey because we just want to have fun. So we're kind of holding God out of distance. And, and maybe today you need to be reminded, you need to hear, when we do that, we are cutting ourselves off from the source of joy. Because obedience is tied to joy. Because obedience to God, following Him, walking in His ways, is really tied to the joy-filled life that we crave and desire. And so maybe today God's nudging you and saying, you know what? That thing that you think is going to bring you happiness has really become something that's cut you off from the source of all joy. And so today it's time to lay that down and to turn back Godward, the, a God who is not only the source of joy, but is also filled with love and grace and mercy and forgiveness for you. Maybe it's time today to lay that down and just turn back Godward and say, God, would you forgive me? God, we've all done this, right? God, I'm sorry. I'm, I've been holding on to this thing so tightly that I've kind of kicked you out. And instead I'm going to lay it down and say, forgive me. Would you come pour out your mercy and grace on me? And with your, with your strength and your help, I want to follow. I want to come back into your presence. I want to walk back 
into the life of joy and the life of your presence. You're filled with power. Maybe that's what God saved you today. Maybe there's some of us that are here today, and you know what? We know this life. We don't do it perfectly, of course. We have and flow, and we, you know, there's ups and downs to this. But, but pretty consistently, we are walking in the presence of a joy-filled God. It's trickling down in our lives. It's trickling down in our hearts. It's trickling out of our mouths. And maybe today, you know what God is saying to you? Why don't you take that joy and that life and that peace and that grace that you have found in Christ, and why don't you go public with that sucker, right? Why don't you let that, why don't you let that pour out to those around you? Maybe there's some friends. Maybe there's a family member, coworkers. Maybe there's somebody that's going through a hard time that God's going to nudge you towards today and say, you know what? Go and share my joy with them. Go and share my life with them. Go and pray for them. Minister to them. Let the fullness and the joy and the life that you've discovered in me get poured out to those around you. Because there's a whole world of people out there that need Jesus. I don't know what God's saying to you today, but friends, there is life, there's joy, there's good stuff that's found in him. Let's make sure we turn the neighbors. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We're just in awe, amazed at you you are the God of all joy. The God who loves us. The God who came and died for us to save us and rose again. The God that invites us back into right relationship with you through faith in Christ. God, forgive us for straying. Forgive us for, for being so easily distracted. For being so easily enticed by other things that we miss out on the fullness of joy that you offer. God, today, right now. We just want to put that stuff, push that stuff to the side. Open up our hands and hearts and lives and just say, come Lord Jesus, would you come and fill us? Would you come and draw our eyes to you? Would you come and as our Savior and as our King, God, we want to live in your presence. We want to walk in the power of your Spirit. We want to know your life and your salvation and areas that we've held on to for too long, God, we lay them down. We say, would you forgive us, God? Would you come and restore, bring us home, home to you, home to your presence, home to the good stuff. Fix our eyes on you today, tomorrow, the next day. Teach us to live and walk with you. It's in your name.